unusual for anybody to speak out in those days. They're mad about me showing up the Christian brothers. No, I wouldn't go to Mother and Baby Home. No newspaper in Ireland had the balls to publish anything against them. The problem is exaggerated beyond doubt. Have you ever been in a classroom in school where slapping was not done? No. Phone calls clear out of Navan. One morning we came down and the four tires in the car were slashed. They probably thought they'd win with me in the finish, you know, and that I'd throw in the towel and say, this is it, but it wasn't going to go to be that way, you know. I said all along, she doesn't need a home. She has a home. We were breaking the law at this stage. I didn't even care. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hello, you're very welcome to another episode of FNI Rap Chat. Uh, very great to be back in the studio with Mia Malarkey. It's been a while. It has indeed. Um, very excited about this episode. Very excited that we're going to get to talk with Sinead O'Shea um, and get to talk about her second featured documentary, which has just come out. It's called Pray for Our Sinners. Yeah, so yeah, we'd massively encourage people to go see this. It's in 17 cinemas around the country. Um, it is a, a documentary that explores... Um, kind of the the religious situation uh in the town of navin and uh how two doctors a couple kind of stood up to the the might of the holy empire of the time kind of uh from the 60s up through to the 90s um and kind of it's Sinead's exploration of the town that she grew up incidentally the town that i grew up in as well so i i knew a lot of these characters as well um, and uh, was absolutely blown away by the kind of the courage of the characters and their uh, this kind of resistance that they had and that you know they've kind of been all been vindicated now uh, so many years after yeah it's an incredible film it had its uh, world premiere at Toronto which was amazing and then it had a brilliant uh, Irish debut at Diff and uh, so now it's going to have its cinema release and yeah it's an absolutely outstanding piece of work yeah. very personal in some ways for Sinead as well yeah her home and her people yeah yeah um, and it's it's beautifully done the music is amazing and um, there's archive that I hadn't seen um, this whole story about how corporal punishment was stopped in Ireland that I, I knew little bits of it but you know there's this amazing archive footage of uh, th- that CBS this news channel from America actually came to tell this story and that's it's all in the film and then just these these really brave souls that are still here um, and you know there's trauma there but there's a lot of beauty as well yeah and a lot of hope with the two doctors who managed to rescue quite a number of women from mother and baby homes and also bring corporal punishment to an end fun- uh, you know fundamentally that's what they achieved yeah yeah. which is huge um, yeah and great to hear kind of Sinead's story uh, a little bit different you know coming from journalism um, and then you know her, one of her her first feature film um, uh, a, a Mother Brings Her 
Son to be Shot, which is an incredible title, um, and that made a big splash. And then, uh, you know, kind of up through making that film and then onto this one. A lot to learn from this one in terms of um, the speed that it was turned around in and uh, just the way she pitched it, I think, was really clever. Um, and like pulling together all these elements in a very kind of succinct sort of a way so yeah so um let's, let's go. jump in yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right studio with Mia Malarkey and Sinead O'Shea. You're very welcome. Hello. Uh, thanks for making the time. I know you're probably very busy getting ready for the release. Um, so is it a lot of running around and trying to make appearances and get every, <laughs> get everyone drummed up to go to the screening? Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. literally emailing people saying, right. will you please come? <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, it's an awful lot of running around and an awful lot of last minute panic like real panic I'm very I couldn't sleep last night I was very worried mm. there's just everyone's very up to 90 and I, I'm sure you'd be going why <laughs> but um you just get so worried and I it's a big problem with documentary that it's real yeah <laughs> it's yeah, the yeah. strength and weakness yeah. but mm. at times like this you're just like why am I doing this like drama yeah. would be so much better right. um yeah, but yeah. yet you have Colin Braid, who's going to do a Q&A with you next week when you launch in the IFI. You know, that was fun. He's very, I mean, he's great. If mm. everyone could be like Colin Braid, he'd be <laughs> fine. No, he was very straightforward to deal with. Um, no, there's just like so many millions of elements. Like mm. The Navin screenings are the big thing at the moment. Right. So picture the scene, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> we're, I mean, insanely, I think we're doing this preview night on it's like three nights before the official opening i don't really know why we're doing it now in retrospect but anyway the demand for tickets is quite mm. crazed and you know i have people like offering my sister's money to get tickets and i haven't been able to get tickets from my own family and it's just really stressful really wow, wow. desperately tricky and everyone's very concerned about what's going to be in the film mm. and i've been getting loads of messages yeah <laughs> it's just really yeah tricky i think everyone will feel better when that preview is over yeah so yeah so me being from Navin when i saw the film because <laughs> like, i was oh like oh my god oh, wow. <laughs> 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 i was thinking about Navin. <laughs> oh what was i thinking i just thought it was like small manageable covid project <laughs> yeah. you know there's a billboard coming to Navin as well oh, i mean that will be visually yeah. great great to have yeah, mary yeah. underneath it mm. but yeah no it's just because it's just so real this is so real yeah it's terrible there's yeah, no escape yeah. from it yeah mm. so real i um i so i saw the press screening and i came out of it and i was blown away by it and i was talking to my friend who's from navin and i was telling them it's like it was just it's so real like it's so like there's this character this woman who she really reminds me of your nan like that's you know she's about the same age and uh, you know, she went through this awful thing with having her baby taken away with her, and he's like, "Oh yeah, same thing actually happened to my my grand aunt," and uh, 
then a few weeks later, oh yeah, that Betty, that's Betty, that's my, <laughs> yeah, that's my aunt's sister. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. actually reassuring that it's that open because Betty, you know, she's so, she's so funny. She didn't tell her family right. she was in the films. They read about it in the Mead Chronicle the week before it was screening in the Dublin Film Festival, and then her daughter said, "What? Why have you done this film?" She goes, "But it's not a film; it's a documentary." <laughs> and right. so they were. No, but that is a film. And even with me, you know, she was like, but, you know, was this, I didn't notice a camera there. (laughs) You're just like, but it's really, it's just me, you and a camera. So she's, I think she's been, she was flipping about, about how she felt about doing it, which is understandable. But anyway, it's great that other people in her life know about her story. Because then I was starting to worry, I was like, hang on, (laughs) do people actually know what's happened? So that's reassuring. No, I, I, be fascinated to the hear the stiff screening yeah. was absolutely brilliant right. from her perspective right. mm-hmm. so we'd been waiting and waiting to show it to her with a big crowd that wasn't from Navin that was right. the kind of balance to strike and yeah. um yeah. it was so it was honestly you it were was there, an amazing it was quite screening there was you know? two very long standing ovations yeah, it was so like beautiful people were very moved and the cinema was totally packed yeah no it was gorgeous it was, and, and the, the Q&A was really powerful yeah I mean the Q&A was grand but it was just for oh it was really good you know Betty was just like you know like Brendan Courtney just jumping on top of her I love you I love you Betty it was just really mm. I think amazing for her to yeah. get that much affirmation from yes. and her daughter was yeah. there then as very well very cathartic yeah, I think exactly. I think mm. it was really cathartic. And yeah. yeah, then I had great chats with her daughter. He's just fascinating. You mm. know, I kind of yeah. half wished she had been in it then. But it was it was a really good night, I think, for the participants. Yeah. And Mary bumped into Norman, who's the little boy at the center of the yeah. Corporal Punishment uh, storyline. Yeah. She bumped into him a couple of weeks ago and she said, Norman, I've never seen him standing so tall. But, which is great. Yeah. Um, so like I was obsessed with worry about the participants but I'm less worried about them now. It's sort of, yeah, just the general Navin reaction mm. that I'm obsessed with now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, there hasn't been many films made about Navin. So. <laughs> <laughs> Come visit Navin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have this phrase like, oh, Navin. It's kind of, it's it's sarcastic. Like, mm. but I yes. came out of the film and I was like, oh, Navin. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, Navin. Like, oh, yeah, yeah I yeah. feel it is very positive yeah. about Navin. Yeah, and yeah. We got a review from America and they were like, her love for her hometown is really clear. And I was right. like, thank God, mm. like that was like kept pushing that one on social yeah. media because that was my intention. Yeah. Or maybe it wasn't actually even the intention at the start, but it was my conclusion, yeah. you know, that um, it is a complex place like everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I did have quite a strong view. I hope I'm not digressing too much. No, no, um, great, no yeah. jump in. But um, I kind of like I left there when I was 17 and I was like goodbye (laughs) but then you know I've lived in plenty of big-ish cities like Dublin or London or Berlin since and I you just you kind of realize that all those things that you think are more evolved and more sophisticated than the place you came from are actually quite fraudulent and they're not actually Mm. that sophisticated and I mean Dublin certainly is so parochial to me it is just like yeah, a yeah. bigger loads of villages bigger village mm. yeah and it's yeah. the same sensibility and like all the teenagers that I encounter from certain parts of Dublin they're as like 
insular and kind of Jane Austen like about you know mm. yeah. who's going to be with who and like mm. all that stuff all yeah. that stuff that I was just like get me away from yeah I, I just kind of feel like actually anywhere where there's gatherings of people is going to be the same we yeah. have we all have those same tendencies so yeah. I obviously didn't bother going into that long-winded spiel <laughs> at the end of the film but I yeah. hope that the the conclusion did seem positive but I think as a representation of Navin you kind of come away after watching these two incredible well one living hero and one who's passed and their heroism is so like stunning and beautiful and touching so I don't think you come away going oh Navin you you know you feel like well I suppose maybe there's a risk that people might be watching it going um that there's a condemnation of the people who didn't Mm. support the rebels in Navin Mm. And I suppose at the end, like I feel it's quite nuanced towards Father Farrell because I myself feel very nuanced towards Father Farrell. Um, But yeah, I just I hope people feel understood. You know, Mm. I'm sure there'll be people in the audience in Navan over these coming weeks who will have been in the audience for Father Farrell. So I hope that they feel my respect for them because there is yeah. a respect there. yeah absolutely and, and i feel that and i didn't know him when i was watching no, neither him. did i right. it's really yeah. annoying yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, or the randalls right, <laughs> right yeah, yeah. My nose. I, like i made a film about this like about like ireland's first vasectomy doctor and another doctor who was kind of rebelling against the church and i he kind of maybe mentioned paddy randall maybe kind of in passing and i Maybe, well, but I never connected. Uh, so it's a guy called Andrew Rin, um, who ma- he was in Clane in Kildare. He was uh, Ireland's God, you must be doctor. pretty hopping that you didn't make the doctor nap. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't anyone tell me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, <laughs> 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 all the look. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was like, I was like, if I haven't heard of this, like, no, like you know, <laughs> I'm from the place. So yeah, it was uh, it was a total shock. Uh, but yeah, so he he would have um, he I I think he mentioned like the Randalls as allies, mm. um, but I never put two and two together because <laughs> no. we we were in a different GP office, so we never. So were we, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. didn't know of them at yeah. all. Actually, I found out afterwards, somewhat ironically, I guess, that my mother had gone in to visit him, Doctor Randalls, when my little sister was quite small. And he really berated her for not breastfeeding and she burst into tears oh. and left and she never went back. Wow. So I think that's quite an interesting story, actually. Yeah. And I wish I had included it, but I right. hadn't heard it yeah, at yeah. the time. Um, it's just good. I love the nuance of those things. Yeah. Mm. yeah you know, yeah. I do. I think there's such a lot to be said for how you express things. People, I, I suppose he would have underestimated maybe how terrified someone like my mother would right. have been yeah. of someone like him. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. They're of a different time as well in terms Such of bedside different manner. No, no, I'm yeah. sure he was the most gentle yeah. of men, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I yeah. also know my mother would be very, very, very nervous right. of somebody mm. like that. Right, yeah. So yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, and the and the father Farrell, like my parents would have known him and um, even straight away when I was just telling them about the 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 film and that and like you know they were kind of almost they were really interested here in the film but then like you know kind of defensive not defensive but like you know like uh, but I think a lot of people truly loved him yes and he did do a lot of good for the town and so he is all those things yeah I think it is possible to 
you know, mm. obviously to be good and bad at the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a great character. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I hope your parents know what they like it. He really was a great person for many. Yeah. People. Like he did, he yeah. genuinely helped people. He yeah. did set up the credit union and yeah. he did help chronic workers form yeah. a he's collective. A, he's a great representation of that time in Ireland because it's easy to feel that it's black and white with women being incarcerated and children being taken from mothers. But it was a very complex time where yeah. there was a lot of layers to why that was morally acceptable or, you know, were you actually protecting the woman? Was it in her interest to, to send her off? And, you know, like it wasn't simply, oh, I'm going to punish this woman because of my belief system. It was kind of there was layers to that. So he's the, a good character. Yeah, there are. Abs- you're right. There were layers. It's and it's so it's so depends on each case. You can't even mm. make a big statement to cover it all. Mm. But, you know, definitely the people themselves were shaming other people like they you know the church led but they followed with great vim yes you know? yeah and that was happening all the time and it's so complex now um and you know another kind of bugbear of mine i i feel like i'm such a grumpy old person sometimes <laughs> but like another bugbear of mine is you know People are so loud on social media these days. There's so much virtue signaling al- al- about. And, you know, people so loudly embrace these kind of evolved liberal causes. And I'm just like, would you have been so loud 30 years ago? Mm. No, no, mm. you wouldn't. Yeah. You would have just been complicit with everyone else. You'd have said nothing. It's just so easy to be loud these days. Because that's the trend. And that is the trend. is the trend. And the trend 40, 50 years ago was to, you know, be to condemn women and mm-hmm. to to be nasty to them mm. and to be s- like very hierarchical but there are different hierarchies now i suppose is yeah. what i'm trying to get out of the yeah. film i don't know yeah. if that's apparent like, but that's the no, thinking definitely. behind it but the phrase that really sticks with me is from mary randall's and she says she calls it a an empire like a holy mm. empire yeah and that's what you're you were up against like a massive <laughs> organization it kind of reminds me a little bit of even like you know russians kind of dealing with with like this soviet empire and then it falling and like living and then in the what's aftermath in its aftermath yeah, yeah it's really yeah. i i think i mean it's tricky to draw analogies sometimes mm, because mm. you don't want to ever belittle anyone else's situation and the suffering of russians mm. is so extraordinarily Amazing. large yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. incredible yeah but actually there's a very um, this gifted Russian person I know who lives here who came to see the film and um, she was drawing similar analogies actually as well which I thought was really interesting and yeah. she was saying you know, the systems are universal mm-hmm. those kind of power systems they are the same mm-hmm. all over the world yeah. and they do make sheep out of people yeah, and yeah. people's worst characteristics come through mm. um, but yeah I suppose I'm just under no illusions that like now is great and then was unequivocally terrible and all the people then mm. were unequivocally terrible and they're all great now. Mm. I, d- yeah. I just don't yeah. think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's a measure of any society how vulnerable people are treated. Mm. Absolutely. I remember when I first heard that expression, I was like, yes! Mm. <laughs> you know, that was a real yeah. eureka moment yeah. for yeah. me. Um, I really believe that and it really, it really annoys me um, when you see the opposite happening, mm. I suppose. And when, I, even now it annoys me as well when everyone's claiming vulnerability and you're just like, no, hang on mm. a tick. Like, you're not actually that vulnerable. Yeah. Let's look at the person who's really vulnerable mm. here. But I think 
we kind of got lost our labels a yeah. little bit. Um, but yeah, I remember when I was young, like another actually another key line that film for me is that bit. Sorry, at the start where um, you say I say um, if you didn't have anyone, you were no one, and mm. that was really at the noble life for me. Even yeah, as a child, right. I was so yeah. conscious, like yeah. that you you have no power whatsoever if you're on your own as a girl. Mm-hmm. Like you really. And I would never have had the vocabulary for that, but I really knew that. Um, So that does link with this idea of vulnerability. Mm. And in a patriarchal system. Yeah, there was no, there was just no capacity for vulnerable people Mm. in Ireland. It was a patriarchal system. I think also the economy at the time, you know, was just so weak and, you know, the whole EU stuff hadn't really kicked in and just people were very Very vulnerable and and isolated and poor. And so if you didn't have backup, Mm-hmm. you're just yeah might as well give luck. up yeah yeah <laughs> you yeah. really should just get out <laughs> mm. if you didn't have backup mm. so on that you're 17 you're leaving it wasn't even that considered i just went to college <laughs> <laughs> did you know you wanted to be a journalist at that time oh well this is so convoluted so <laughs> i'm sorry in advance how boring this is going to be um I I had done quite a bit of journalism in school and um, I was actually very, very nerdish at school. I was always doing like writing and history competitions and stuff and projects that no one was asking me to do. I'd be like this slight loser who would be doing <laughs> them. And um, then, but then I kind of got really sick of it. Like I went to the other extreme. I was really sick of it. So I went off to college when I was 17 and I was like just, so incredibly lazy and <laughs> inactive so I did English for four years and I just I mean, I'm so genuinely so ashamed <laughs> no it was dreadful because you know I got free fees and right. you look at mm. what people go through to mm. get to third level education mm. I just it's awful like it's oh I was talking to a therapist about two years ago and I just started crying thinking mm-hmm. about like how awful I was in college and she's like it's not <laughs> that bad but I I feel terrible about it anyway I've been quite sleep deprived today mm-hmm. so that was that was a kind of a mess um and then when I finished my degree in English I was obviously qualified for nothing and I had done nothing for four years so mm-hmm. I went off and I was waitressing in San Francisco for a while and um then, uh, and I, it's a bit long-winded probably, <laughs> but um, I I don't know, for some reason I thought I should make a documentary, but it's really an odd thought because I hadn't made any and I, didn't re- I hadn't even really seen any documentaries. But anyway, so I just made this actually pretty shit documentary, but it got me into a master's in film in Angel Street in Dublin. And so I studied film. And then suddenly I became real eye the tiger. I was really focused during yeah. that masters and r- worked really hard. Um, um, was that because you found what you wanted to do? I or? think it was also the guilt after right. all that like four years of waste, and <laughs> I'd had this like traffic accident, so I got compensation money to pay for the masters. Anyway, I was just really conscious, like, okay, you're on your last chance here. Mm. But when I look back, I mean, I was only twenty one or something. Yeah. So, but in my head, I was like, you're doomed. <laughs> like it's <gasps> never, never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny how yeah you don't understand how much life is ahead of you mm. at that age mm. like you really think like i've got to do this now yeah um so 
I did the masters in film and then I kind of specialized in cinematography, but that was quite hard to get into at the time. I did a course called Cross Pollinate with Maya recently, which went to Kate McCullough mm. about cinematography and she's incredible. She's incredible. So she managed to prevail in that system, whereas mm. I just lasted a day. I was like, this, <laughs> is, this is horrendous. <laughs> it was much nicer studying this. Um, so, but yeah, I guess then it was quite tricky to be in the film industry at that time. I think what years that would be like mid 2000s roughly and um yeah I don't know I felt like I wasn't really getting anywhere like you know you'd make as much stuff as you could on your own camera but like yeah. absolutely no one wanted to see it mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I never could get money from anyone to get anything done I had helped make this TV show. Is this too much detail? This is good. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Well, the thing it's is, the a story. lot of people who listen are coming in from different avenues and okay. angles. So it's interesting yeah. in that okay. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd help make this TV show called Sampler, which is actually kind of quite a good TV show. Um, it's like a magazine show. And we'd shot and edited ourselves on Final Cut. And I won an IFTA, but it it got in big trouble with RTE. The trade unions said that they wouldn't, they would go on a strike or something if it continued broadcasting. So oh anyway, no. there was all these avenues kept being shut up. So anyway, I went to London and I joined Al Jazeera and I kind of focused on current affairs. Mm. And right. I did that for quite a few years. Yeah. And um, that was great. Current affairs is a lot less subjective and mm. it's, you either know the thing or you don't. You either get the person or you don't. And I got really into sort of nonfiction and editing nonfiction yeah. and meeting people. I used to work in this weekly show and we'd have to like, I think, get, make two five-minute films a week. Like it was really fast. Wow, um, great training as well. Yeah, and it was it was great. Um, so we did millions of those things. And I did that for years, mm. like on, for about six or seven years until... And I worked with a lot of great people during yeah. that time as well. So that, was, that was a very formative thing. Kind <laughs> of the start of news moving online and video and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Though I remember like Twitter starting. I remember I was at the Edinburgh TV Festival and there was someone there who was in the Twitter startup team and it hadn't started yet. And I was like, that's it's not going to catch on. Let's not, <laughs> <laughs> let's not do an interview with that person. <laughs> <laughs> that was a misjudgment and i didn't join twitter like for years either but yeah i if anyone else had been doing the job yes it would have been the start of their online video world mm. but i was quite slow <laughs> on the uptake <laughs> <laughs> and like was the culture quite open then to in al jazeera yeah, yeah it was incredibly open mm. it's funny i just read the other day that the al jazeera london offices are moving to doha and i think they're changing the whole structure there now um but for me, after Ireland, like after what it felt like years and years of, you know, what it felt like I was always being patronized, not even patronized, like just ignored, I'd right. say. Uh, it was it was just much more egalitarian. It's a, it's a startup, so, you know, everyone's got a chance. It was, you had these really big names in the place, but they would all, everyone worked together. Um, it was very fast. I really, I really liked it. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, yeah. And then, so with what led to what, like, was it kind of hand in glove with actually, say, the first feature that you yeah, did? Yeah, so um, I was 
getting sick of like the making two things a week or one thing a week. I'd made an hour long film by that point about the Madeleine McCann disappearance, which wasn't as tawdry <laughs> as it sounds. Right. It's quite interesting. So I, I I knew I really liked making things that were longer form and I had trained in film and I was always thinking I'd love to make something bigger. Um I didn't really know how the feature industry worked. I was like, how do you get like how do you get something into a film festival or like into a cinema? And I didn't realize that's the entire game. <laughs> like right. I was just like, yeah. it's just a question of phoning someone. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so then someone in Al Jazeera, um, I was just freelancing and I had a baby at that point. So they said, maybe you should look at that story in Northern Ireland about this woman who had brought her teenager to be shot in the legs. And I had seen the story on Facebook and I had said to myself, well, that mm. is, that is something. Um, so I went there and um, I got talking to this man called Hugh Brady, who's very prominent in the film. And he was just, I mean, he really was just this amazing character. Like I couldn't shut him up. I, I hmm. didn't have to do anything. I, you know, I would just say one thing and he'd been waiting like, mm-hmm. <laughs> for someone to yeah, yeah. ask him these things. He was just such an incredibly good speaker. And um, I found him very interesting. And so it kind of grew from there. Um, I just thought, oh, this, this could not just be a 10 minute or a 20 minute report. In fact, it wouldn't even be a broadcast hour like this. Mm. This could be the feature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it turns out that it takes like it it took five years between everything to make. Right. Yeah. So in the meantime, I, I worked in podcasting and mm. I did lots of journalism and stuff like that. Yeah. And how did you kind of manage that? Like the time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this is where you kind of run into problems because I, it's fine. I don't mind. Like I do feel quite vocational about making features, mm. but I I never really I haven't so far gotten really to pay myself on it, right. and so I don't know how sustainable that is. Like, don't know if your listeners are going. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it it always means that I'm always working. I'm always double jobbing. Yeah. Um, I mean, features they can be piecemeal. They're not like drama features. You know, they're not like six week shoots, five day weeks all packed together. You mm. can be piecemeal. You can mm. shoot them over years. Mm. Even the edit for this one was shot disgracefully in my view over like it was five weeks over nine months you know so there is ways of doing that so you can work and earn money at the same time but I think yeah it's my (laughs) ambition next time maybe to get paid for the Mm. actual work that I'm doing when Mm. I'm doing it (laughs) moving slowly towards that target (laughs) is part of that who gives the funding how the budget's done out it's just i don't know it's really it's it's sort of again like using this it is quite convoluted so a mother brings we were given i don't know if you want this type of detail but we were given development money to Mm. make um with a feature documentary the way screen around works is they give you development money to make a five to ten minute teaser film so Actually, I would have been paid for a few days' work off that. But that was with another production company, and so they would use that money to hire like good cameramen and good editors, and you create this five to ten minute teaser film. So in theory, you then go to the market with this teaser film and say, this is what I have, can you give me the rest? 
But in reality, you go to these markets and people are like, who are you? Mm. <laughs> no interest in you. Why aren't you a celebrity? Why isn't this film about a celebrity? Um, come back to me when you have a rough cut. So that's kind of what happened. That um, So by the time I had what would have been an assembly, and I mean, actually, I, I hope it doesn't sound like woe is me here because actually I couldn't have been luckier in so many ways in the production of that film. Like, I had this enormous stroke of luck. I was talking to this Brandon cameraman once about it, um, and he said, I edit as well. Could I have a look at your rushes? And I said, okay. That was 25 hours of rushes, and he just took them home, and he worked on them on his own for free for six months and came up with an assembly and his name's Endo Dowd and we still work together he's a videographer in the Irish Times and he's I'd say (laughs) I wonder what he'd say (laughs) but I would say (laughs) like he's my closest creative collaborator and I really adore working with him but like when I think about that was such a stroke of luck I didn't even Mm. you know it was he who initiated that like Anyway, Mm. I don't always have great judgment in people. (laughs) Like, I just (laughs) wonder, you know, I I just wouldn't have seized that opportunity, I think. Um, So, but yeah, so basically because of people like Enda, it got to the point where there was an assembly. And then, yeah, I don't know. I guess how that worked was by the time we went back to Screen Ireland to say we had put together like a very small budget yeah, I think I got a small payment for the five years of work mm. done. But I mean, honestly, really if you broke that anything. down, yeah. mm. I mean, it's it's shock. Like yes. you're getting like a tenner a week, you yeah, know, or something yeah, like yeah. that. It's yeah. if even like you're mm. losing, you're at a loss. Mm. Um, so I suppose that's what I'm trying to say that that's not a very sustainable mm. production model. For my second feature, I think right, it's going to be totally different. <laughs> um, mm. but it's just. It hasn't worked out that way either, but it's kind of circumstances. Um, I formed a very small company, which is just me. And then when COVID started, Screen Ireland put out um, an announcement saying that um, they had an enhanced development scheme for very small companies. Again, is this too much No, detail? this is great. No, okay. this is so <laughs> perfect. Mm-hmm. It's um, filmmaker nerds like this. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> I know, but it's, it's for boring money. Anyway, we all so, need it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the idea was that you pitched to them two to three projects, which they would give development money to. And I suppose the thinking is if they've given development money, they might give you further money further down the line. Um, so in retrospect, I actually think they were probably just trying to get rid of budget for that year because COVID had shut down everything mm. but I was successful in that scheme my company quote unquote <laughs> me we were successful in the scheme so then I used that money to go off and start shooting in Navin and then I had this epiphany that oh this could actually be a feature because at that point I had thought it was just about corporal punishment mm. because Mary mm. had neglected to mention anything about her own work or mm-hmm. herself and so yeah. um, and then but then because of the fact that it was COVID and everyone involved was quite old, I was like, OK, I could go back out to market and I do have a first feature behind me now. So th- it, is, it is probable I will be able to raise a proper budget. But I just thought to myself, but the time is now to do this because mm. I just don't know how long that's going to take. And I kind of because I have done an awful lot of this shooting and editing and turning around of reports and stuff I, I did know I could pr- 
probably do it again for free. Mm. So um, I I went back to Screen On and said, can we do this as a micro budget? So a micro budget is a hundred thousand euro budget and it's given in sort of special cases. And that one would be quite a good case for a micro budget mm. because mm. it's all in one location and it's there's even the compelling reason of COVID and that people are quite old and the storyline is already set. It's a retrospective telling. Um, so mm. that application was successful. And so it meant we got that money in weeks, right. whereas it would have taken years. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. So it meant, but it also meant I was locked back in the model of like not getting paid again. So <laughs> right. I was just like, oh, damn. But anyway, it had to be done and... So just all your money is just going into getting it shot, pretty much. Yeah, then, the yeah. hundred thousand. Yeah, you, the way that would break down would be the archive costs, and obviously fortune that oh, NBC yeah. archive. There's not much negotiation on that. Right. Actually, the IFI archive is incredibly expensive. Um, Screen Ireland did give us a little bit extra when it came to the crunch, when it came to when it was locked, and when we knew there was a. I think maybe even when it was accepted to festival that that. Um, archive had to be converted from festival use to um, what is worldwide. Yeah, it's, is it's it? a better word. Anyway, there's some <laughs> word, but you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. And in um, perpetuity. Yes, uh-huh. yeah. in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And so, the idea is then that yeah, a no sales agent would take on a film that only had archive that was for mm-hmm. festival use. Mm-hmm. But anyway, sales agents are another tedious <laughs> conversation. But. Mm. Yeah, so the archive cost a huge amount of money for that film. And actually, we were so lucky because a lot of people from Navin gave us their archive also. But mm. even with that, um, that sucked up a lot of money. And then the edit, the camera people, like, there was just no negotiating. You know, there's, mm. l- there's so much production in Ireland at the moment. Like, even just to get a camera person for one day at 550 euros, we were, I was just like, Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy annoying. At the moment. It's yeah. infuriating. Yeah, it yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was infuriating. I feel that a lot of crew are saying, "I want to do meaningful work." <laughs> you just well, mm. I'll offer you so, but <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. stop <laughs> booking yourself up yeah. for other things. Then, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, and it's the same with. In fact, it's worse with editors because they're in so much demand, mm. and it's very very hard to yeah. get a good editor you really need to book in advance but it's tricky with features because you don't know when your funding is going to be locked and you don't know when your shooting is necessarily going to be locked so mm. you're a bit nuts sometimes i think to book an editor too far in advance yeah. or too close either mm. that's just not possible it's a tricky balance yeah. it's so hard you yeah. often just lose people you yeah. have to say i'm sorry i can't guarantee this for you yeah, yeah. so all that stuff is tricky but yeah that money just vanished <laughs> like right, right. really really yeah. did yeah. um and that was that but yeah when i it's it's quite nice to talk to you both about this because you actually understand what i'm talking about <laughs> when people meet other people like well you didn't pay yourself like, you're so stupid <laughs> but it wasn't stupidity it was just it is a kind of calculation as well that you know yeah. well i've made a second feature yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. that's worth something and Maybe the third one. <laughs> 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 paid. But that's how, I mean, I totally understand that journey because I've made no money on any of my shorts. 
but I've I make money with everything else so it's the double jobbing thing but it's the stories I want to tell that's what I'm passionate about I don't mind committing a month or a year or whatever it takes to do something mm. but there's nothing coming back financially but you do it because you're building you're sort of crafting yeah hopefully I mean it's funny though after Mother Brings you know that was tricky because RT had helped finance it but then they wouldn't broadcast it so it became like this sort of festival favorite it did really well in festivals and it did get quite a lot of traction say on social media but not that not many other people would have heard of it so I you Mm. know I I thought well maybe someone will offer me a job in art like a directing job in art but that didn't happen Mm. and so I did a lot of corporate work like three years of corporate work which was hard going at times yeah yeah but again that's a reality and probably is good for people to know that no definitely yeah i mean that's our audience we just want the reality you know of and kind of preparing people for what it can take yeah and in a real way what are the challenges when you have a gap after a project is finished and there's this weird limbo or when you're in the middle of a project but you've no income coming in Mm. you know how do you balance like they're all really legitimate Mm. things to look at yeah. They're really interesting, to, like to me, definitely, to hear, oh, God, you had to go through that. OK, cool. Then I'm not a weirdo for going through my thing. Oh, no, I'm the most like, hapless <laughs> fool. <laughs> like, I, there's nothing I've done strategically well, I don't think, <laughs> ever. <laughs> well, in terms of once you kind of started filming, you said like the story started revealing itself. Like, when did you kind of know? Well, um, so the kind of genesis of the whole thing was after I'd made a mother brings her son to be shot an old school friend Sinead Maguire as she was then Sinead Burke as she seems to be now but keeps changing (laughs) (laughs) um it seems to change on Facebook um she uh said hey you should make a film about what Dr. Pally Randalls did about corporate punishment and so I looked into the story and I met with Mary and I was like wow no that is a great story that's Mm. really really good and so I did wonder can you get a whole feature out of that and I was quite doubtful you could. I think you could get a great 35 minutes, say, out of that mm. film, out of that idea. Um, but I, anyway, because of that COVID scheme, the enhanced development scheme, I put it in anyway. So then I had the development money. And so I arranged to meet Mary. But at around the same time, the mother and baby home report came out. And then I've, I've told this story a few times, but like, does kind of blow me away I'd been meeting her for three years at this point and she said I'm so annoyed about this report you know when I think of all those women we used to hide here and I said what women used mm. to hide here and so she took me downstairs and she showed me this bedroom where the girls used to stay and and like there's her her stories I mean they're so funny it was so elaborate like she used to get girls to write letters to her brother who lived in London and then they would he would and he was a priest I think he would write letters he would um put English stamps onto their letters and send the letters to the girls' families so it would look like the girls were living in England. Wow. So it was this whole elaborate network wow. that they had. Wow. Paddy used to loan his car to um like some of the dads to drive to the mother and baby homes to visit their partners. You know, they were completely committed mm. to fighting this. But I suppose what I really love about the people in this film is that that it just it doesn't seem like that and out of an ordinary decision for them to have made um it was just common sense as mary would say and if you use words like what about your resistance like she just Hmm. finds that so ridiculous Mm -hmm. and 
It's kind of beautiful. Like it's like this anti-self-actualization. It is beautiful. It's, I guess, part of Catholicism in a way, like anti-ego, anti-self, but it is also quite dangerous, you know, when you see it and how it affects other people, that their feelings matter so little. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, sh- so then I realized, oh, actually, there's, there's loads of wings to this. Mm-hmm. This could be a feature. That's fine. Yeah. Um, I had a friend called Maya who's a director filmmaker and she um does some producing and I was like Maya could I put your name on this uh-huh. <laughs> which is a decision I know uh-huh. just look back I was like I'll do everything uh-huh. <laughs> like, I'll write everything and um but yeah she still ended up doing stuff for nothing and then this Ender he did a lot of the camera work initially Anyway, sorry, you probably don't want to know no, the no, whole kind of crew details. Like you you do sound a lot of time. Do you, uh, um, sometimes, sometimes, like, just yeah. if I'm asked, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Um, there was a very good camera person called Calm, who's Kim Bartley's partner. He was amazing, and it was so funny. His sound was so good that we, like, used all his, like, just his Atmos we right. kept mm. using for all the days of the, the film of the edit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of just... A mix. I mean, we had very few shooting days for that film. I'd yeah. say six, maybe. What? Um, really? Yeah. God, it feels so fleshed out. Yeah. It does feel like that. It's ah. it's nifty editing. You know, we only met. I only met Betty twice. You know, right. those two occasions. Um, and then there's a lot of archive and, but the edit was the thing. I I am mm. very into editing. Um, mm. and. So we had a really tricky time with the edit. We worked, we basically, we'd run out of budget. And so, and Enda was in this really tricky situation that he, um, he had sold his house and, but the sale of the house he had bought had gone into something when the person's dead. Anyway, basically he couldn't move anywhere. No, no, No. it's like, it's a will or something. Anyway, so was t- he has two small babies and they had nowhere to go and so there was this like outhouse on his parents house in Sligo and so or Mayo anyway so he wasn't really living in Dublin anymore and then he got COVID and he had a car crash and it was oh just Jesus. incredibly hard to get mm. any- and he has a full time job so that was the <laughs> other <thing>. so <laughs> it was just like normally I'd have worked at night with him but I, it was just nothing I couldn't get any time with him and so we only really had enough budget then like we'd made some mistakes in the edit and anyway it became this situation where we did five weeks of editing over nine months so like Mm. we'd do like maybe two days here and then leave it for a month and then during that month like I would just think about it I kind of maybe you both know this feeling like when you know the film off by heart mm-hmm. and you know every shot off by heart so you're thinking where mm-hmm. if I could just change that shot or change that word then that whole meaning will be different yeah. but it's just a long time to have that um, feeling I suppose mm. yeah. but yeah it was it, arguably there's an artistic justification for having an edit that that's so spread out yeah. but yeah. I would say psychologically and yeah. financially, it's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a trade-off because you've all this time to contemplate and you do, and, and you polish. really think and you use yeah. every moment and that can be in powerful, the edit. But and then there's a momentum aspect as well, where you yeah. don't run out of steam or yeah. No, every moment was so used with him. I didn't. I didn't ever feel like I could run out of momentum because mm. I 
kind of knew I'd backed myself into a terrible corner now because I really had to get this film finished mm-hmm. and out there. And so I knew it would be done. But it was just such slow, slow progress. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. But it probably doesn't sound that bad, but it yeah. was. <laughs> but in a way, like relative to like the five years on Mother Brings. Like, no, this and this quick. is what my partner keeps saying. He's <laughs> like, but it was a miracle. Like you <laughs> had the idea, you went to Screenology, you got the budget, you turned it around. You, and it is true. From yeah. start to finish was really, really fast. Right. And then it was, you know, we finished it in May of 2022. And I sent, sent off that finished cut and then it got into the festival. And that was... That is an incredible trajectory. It's just that there were moments of just total hopelessness right. <laughs> during it. I really was very, very worried. And yeah. um, I was pregnant. I was quite sick. I had hyperemesis. I was, had morning sickness, like, kind of till the day of birth. So maybe that contributed to my feeling of just, oh, you right. know, mm, <laughs> what yeah. have I done? Yeah, yeah. I always knew their stories were very good, yeah. very powerful. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. There was the whole question of bringing myself into it as well, which was very vexed. So yeah, I that's something I really want. That. I did want to get into <laughs> just in general in those two feature docs. You're quite present. You're not very present, but you're very much like bringing us on a journey. And that's very much a decision. You yeah, to no, make. I have such mixed feelings about it. I don't know. I th- <laughs> it's Herzog does it. I mean, some yeah. people do it and it's very rich. Know, and but you I'm just no Herzog. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I always wanted to be just a director, a director. And then in Al Jazeera and some of the reports, actually having an Irish accent was quite advantageous because it was less annoying to their audience than an English accent. So Mm. then they're like, why don't you do some voicing on some of those films you're doing? And then it's like, why don't you be in it for a second? So that slowly crept in. But then when it came to the feature, I was like, well, this is now proper back to <laughs> directing principles um and then slowly the same thing began to happen you see that there was that was very tricky circumstances in a different way to the Navin film so it was just very difficult to get any time with the family who were at the center of it and I guess that's the thing about documentary subjects you know they um generally it's not true in the case of Navin but most documentary subjects the ones that are like really easy and come on time they're not actually that interesting mm-hmm. a lot of the time mm. so you do have to be very patient um but yeah it just became crazy you know they went missing for two whole years so you know i kind of had to do stuff my own and had to do some checking up on things and it was just so unclear what was happening and then that I thought that did become interesting. So it never started off as a f- like there's a voiceover that comes in like mm-hmm. 10 minutes in. But that was added at the very, very end. But where I really began working as a presence in that film was about halfway through the shooting. And it was just to be honest and to express. I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know if these people are lying to me. And I don't really know if they're bad or good like what I quite liked about the people in the film was that you really had no clue what was going on and everything sounded like bullshit and everything sounded like an exaggeration but then people did get shots you're just like well mm. <laughs> which is it mm. and it's very confusing there's a very I think there's a very interesting relationship with truth and storytelling you know in those kinds of communities and I think it is related to trauma and that you know people's memories become 
quite complicated, I suppose. It's very interesting. Anyway, there was, it was better for me to express that uncertainty because he couldn't really show it. Um, yes, okay. So it so helped to tie things it, it together. It helped to explain what was happening mm. in the film, what was going on. Um, and then actually, ironically, the the UK co-producer who kind of came on was Herzog's producer. So his name is Andre Singer. And ah, okay. so he um, he he was like, you need to just let yourself go in the voiceover. <laughs> and by then I was working with a different editor, not Enda. And he was like, oh, I don't know about mm. this. And so he's like, you know, Herzog, he just he just records all his thoughts like on this subject for a couple of hours. And he then he just hands the audio over to the editor and wow. the editor apparently just what an approach that's fair weaves it in and um but i said that to the editor and he was like no and, <laughs> <laughs> and also i mean in fairness, I, was like, I don't think you want to hear like my stream of consciousness um, anyway so it, it was quite structured but yeah it's funny that guy andre he's he is brilliant um so he became quite instrumental then in the second film i think i was saying this story as well that um I showed him the rough cut. He couldn't come on board because the conditions of the micro budget scheme are that you only have just screen around as a financier. And so I asked him if he'd look at my rough cut, which was built around the testimonies of Mary, Betty, Ethna, Norman, which had always been the plan. And also I knew that was how I could make the film for that money because it would just be interviews, four interviews, four, four really strong interviews and you could do it with that number of camera days and so on. And, um, but he watched it. <laughs> he was quite ruthless. You know, he was mm. just saying they're nice people, but I don't want to watch them for that long. And I was just like, that's mm. the coldest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's like, they're great, but just no one's going to watch them. And he said, it's this very odd behavior by you that you're from Navin and you're just not mentioning this. And, I was like, great, yeah. here we go. <laughs> yeah, <back laughs> and, so, and actually, sorry, I should say Maya, who the poor director who had turned into a producer for this was saying, all along was saying, today we need to hear from you. We need to hear what your perspectives on Navin are. And all the time I was thinking, that's quite a tacky idea. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I had to say, Oh, Andre says actually <laughs> that we need a voiceover. Um, I have actually apologized many times about this, but I just feel very embarrassed. Um, but it so can be quite like there's a really gorgeous writer, Keelan Hogan, who wrote yes. a book on the mother and baby yes. stories. And the, I love the way she did. Totally. That. That and she's brilliant. really embedded and she's on this trip around mm. the country to meet all these survivors. And, and it's kind of really compelling because you're with her as much as for mm, the story itself that's so well done she's a wonderful writer she's a wonderful writer yeah yeah there's an also a book called Stasiland which I think might have inspired her by a German writer which mm. takes a similar approach to kind of going through the kind of wreckage of East Germany and Stasi relations between people I think her name's Anna Funder or something anyway, um, yeah so I did think of these good examples mm. and how actually <sighs> I suppose you just have a horror of just, you know, being this like crazy emoting reporter on the sidelines <laughs> and actually like that McCann, Madeleine McCann film I made, like it was the inspiration for that was, you know, coming from Al Jazeera, they were like, how is there so much fuss over this one child? And it was this an examination of how the British media had worked. And when you watch the reportage of that, like it's crazed, it's so crazy. Mm. And yeah, I suppose I had a real horror of being that hysterical 
reporter in the film. Um, so I, I don't think it is that, but it, I mean, it didn't. It's just not, I, maybe some people would relish that task, but I did not, mm. I was not dying to talk about Navin, uh, uh, well, like right, yeah, in, yeah. A, in a forum that is forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really tricky. The, the film really benefited from it. No, it did. Yeah, ultimately, they were yeah, both right. right and that's yeah. fine. But <laughs> Will you do it, it again? Too, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> it, really. Mm. Yeah. But like, yeah, roll on five years. I'll still be making films for nothing <laughs> with me in them. <laughs> like, it's a really hopeless horizon. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> the plan is not to. <laughs> um, so how can people see this film? Just um, They can see it in the cinema. So um, it's in cinemas everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but quite a few. 17 cinemas across the country from April 21st. It's in London on April 19th, if anyone is in London. I don't know if this will be out in time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, there are Q&As in London in the IFI on Friday. A Q&A actually with Keelan Hogan on Saturday oh, in the Lighthouse mm-hmm. and Dr. Mary. So that'll be a very good one if you're mm-hmm. interested in social issues. I'd say the one with Colin will be more focused on film. On the film, yeah. And um, then there's a Q&A in Galway on Monday and in Belfast on Tuesday. And then... I don't know. The reality is opening in 17 cinemas that you in your second week are in two cinemas. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not sure how that will mm. go. <laughs> you just never know. I don't you know. I have know. a feeling about this film that. Do you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> 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 I don't know. The time is right. Um, and you never know. <laughs> like, okay. I, I, that I actually could talk about myself for ages. <laughs> <laughs> <That's really laughs> it's a really hopeful film. Like yeah. you come away feeling so much love for the for mary but also for like these incredible women who survived and these children who survived and there's something really warm and human about the film that's quite impactful yeah no it's um it is there is hope actually (laughs) the funny thing is i said screen around this is going to be a really hope this is the only good news story about (laughs) the church anyone's Mm. ever going to see and (laughs) when i show them like my first cut they're like what have you done? (laughs) (laughs) This is not what you said it was going to be. I just, it couldn't really be all like high fives and a Hollywood ending. So it's it's a mixture. But but I agree. I feel there's a lot of hope and Mm. it's it's so nice to see people showing a bit of resistance. Mm. The screening in that diff in the lighthouse was just like, a fabulous experience. And just two great. really long standing never ovations. never be again for something like that. It, it was, was so good. much emotion. Yeah, and it was brilliant. And I know it gets into a lot of the dark corners of our history, but the feeling coming out of it is humanism. Mm. And in the face of a, a big machine or an empire, that like just this small, you know, this couple in this little town had that much power and had that much humanity. I know. It's like, it is a bit of a lesson though. Like sometimes all it takes is just for one person mm. to say no let's do it a different way mm. um yeah i'm such a wimp myself by the way so <laughs> <laughs> just bear all that in mind yeah. <laughs> i suppose when you're trying to figure out how have we got here like in the last 40 years like it's it's you know hundreds of these little stories these mm. tiny tiny rebel re- rebellions in people's you know everyday lives like you know so it's yeah no it's so stories. it's so beautiful no i'm yeah. very happy i really hope the navin screenings go well now for the participants mm. um be lovely for them to get a round of applause and yes. a standing ovation yeah. yeah let's see and what's next for you oh uh, <laughs> <laughs> well actually i'm doing 
a drama, I'd say I'm doing one. I've written a feature drama, and so it's been given, it's gone through a few kind of rounds of development. Also set in Melbourne, <laughs> which is like yeah. insane. Fertile territory. <laughs> it is quite rich. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm just actually a bit tired at the moment. Um, that has to. We need to get motoring with that. Um, mm. It does very much daunt me though, because for all that I complain about my kind of amateur piecemeal way of doing things, it's probably the thing I'm most confident doing. Like I can imagine, like the idea of being with a full crew and like lots of people just makes me go, oh, uh-huh. no, I can't. Like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that really daunts me. I'm going to try and do like some shadowing, I think, over the summer yeah, or something yeah, to try to get idea. used to that because yeah. it really daunts me. Um, so, yeah, maybe some drama. I I always have, not always, but I have a few documentary things in development, but they're so unpredictable. Like right. It's just yeah. impossible to know. I mean, this yeah. was completely... Out of all the projects I had, this was the like no hoper, like really? the run to the litter, and yeah. it's by far the best one now. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, it's really hard to predict. Um, if you were able to talk to the <laughs> Sinead who was starting out on this oh journey making God. this, <laughs> is there any any less any like big oh lessons? <laughs> Stop being so stupid. <laughs> um, maybe that. Actually, I remember when I was. I, this is my life is so embarrassing but I remember I was living in San Francisco with this girl who I thought was so old I mean she was 28 or something but I yeah. thought she was so old and she was like you know it's really good you getting into documentary now because you know in 20 years like you know maybe when you're 40 you know like you'll you'll have made a documentary and I was like yeah what <laughs> like, I was like I'm making a documentary now like, yeah. what are you talking about yeah, yeah. <laughs> but actually I, I can't believe it, but she was right. Like, it does take years. Mm-hmm. Um, ugh, it's a bit of a slimy thing, to smarmy or thing to say, but it, it does, it can take a long time yeah. to get a depth at the things you need to be able to do, maybe, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, that probably sounds very really no, smarmy. No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. I suppose as well, when you're younger, you kind of veer from being quite overconfident to being totally mm. underconfident mm. um so i maybe like to say to myself can you just like there's a big medium there <laughs> like, can, right. you, can yeah. you aim for that please yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's really encouraging because if you are taking a long time to get to this goal you have in mind it can be very discouraging to think why is it taking me years why am i still learning why haven't i landed yet on this great plateau or whatever I know, and then like actually, there is no plateau. No, never. <laughs> There's no safety net. <laughs> no, but uh, having said that, I am very happy to have my first feature made. That was a huge thing for me, and um, I'm really glad to persevere to this. It is, it is worth persevering with things, just psychologically. Not that it brought me money or actually even helped my career, as far as I can see. But just psychologically, mm. that was really good for me to yeah. just get that done. So. Yeah, I don't know. I I say my answers are incredibly corny, so sorry. No, 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 no that's no, great. Not at all. They're great. Um, well, it was lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much. Lovely talking well about myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's very uncomfortable. That's therapy thing. done now for the <laughs> yeah, week. Yeah. Fireside is the Irish storytelling podcast. Every week you'll hear tales of mythic Irish gods, Arthurian knights, or Norse Vikings. 
There is folklore from Ireland and around the world, and even historical legends like Brian Baru and Grainne Whale. Whether from poetry or prose, lyric or legend, if there is a good story at the heart of it, you'll find it here. I'm Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and fireside bard. With over 150 episodes and rising, there has never been a better time to join us by the fireside.